Hello there. My name is Brad. Welcome to Bethany's sunset service. For, get it? Because we do a sunrise. It's nighttime. Sunset. Never. That was terrible. Let's start over. Hi, my name is Brad. He is risen. Okay, we can get louder, especially from this side. He is risen. There it is. It is a good day. Uh, I have a favorite type of movie uh, a genre that I like, and it's, it's even TV shows and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's the kind of uh, TV show where you go out or where you're watching and there's this problem, but the problem can't be fixed by fixing the problem of the now. They, they have to do something else to fix the problem. And so what they end up doing is they get this crack team of scientists and some rogue federal agents, and they decide they're going to figure out how to travel back in time. And they're going to fix this problem because they have to go get the root of the problem, which is very true. If you want to get your problem solved, you have to go to the root of it. And so this is what they do. They travel back in time, let's say, to the 1950s and Doc and Marty go back. We know the movie I'm talking about, right? Back to the Future was actually on today. They go back in time and they fix the problem. But then they realize that this creates a whole host of other problems, like if Marty's dad and mom don't go to prom together, uh, he doesn't exist, and he starts seeing himself fade out of the Polaroid and fade out of existence, and then he invents rock and roll, and then he moves back to, to the future, to 1984. And then Back to the Future 2 happens, and Biff, we know Biff, he doesn't like manure or to be called chicken. And so he, he, gets, uh, he decides he's going to go back and make these, these tweaks to history, put some well-placed bets on some really fast horses, and he's going to become a millionaire, and he's going to run, was it Hill Valley or Hill City? One of the, he's going to be the richest person. And then they get to back to the future, like 20, was it 2015 uh, or 14 when the Cubs were supposed to win the World Series, but they were a year late. Excuse me. And they get back up there and they realize that everything's messed up. So Marty has to go back in time and fix it. You know, these kind of movies where they have to fix these things in the future. These movies are all based on something. They're all based on these two words. And these two words weigh about two tons. They're all based on the words, if only. If only things were different back then then we wouldn't be facing the problems that we're facing right now. If only I can go back and change something of what I did in high school. If only I would have studied more, I would have been able to make it into that school. If only. Do you feel how loaded these words are? If only. They hang with regret because there's really not a good sentence that follows, if only, because it means that you're stuck somewhere. If only. Do you have if onlys when you think about it? If only that person didn't walk out the door that day, your life would be different. And you wanna go back in time and you wanna change it. If only. Mom and dad didn't split up when I was young. That pain in my life wouldn't be there. If only I would have asked for forgiveness instead of pushing my way. If only I would have gotten that job 
And for those of you who know the housing climate here in Seattle, if only I bought a house six years ago, then I'd be sitting on a large heap of cash. If only. Do you feel the regret in those words, if only? And then you see Mary and Martha. They come running to Jesus, and their first words to him are, Jesus, if only you'd have been here on time, is what they want to say. Jesus had a chance to get there earlier, but he didn't get there earlier. He, he came late. And Lazarus, his, one of his best buddies, dies. Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary. And if Jesus would have gotten there, Lazarus would have been healed because Jesus is really good at healing people. But they come to him and say, if only, Jesus, if only you were here, he would be alive. Can you identify with Mary and Martha tonight? Do you have some if onlys in your world? I got one. I got like five or 20, but here's one. It happened on the fifth floor of the UCLA Medical Center uh, in the ICU ward. If only my dad didn't get sick, we wouldn't have been sitting there talking to the doctor telling us that he had passed. If only. If only the lung transplant got to him sooner. If only. How things would have been so different if only. What's your if only tonight? Where do you find yourself in it? Mary and Martha have a big, with, a big if only, and those are big, heavy words for them. And there's a problem with these if onlys. If you live your world with if only, you don't have the nostalgic dream of what things could have been because if you live your life wondering if only, what happens is you really stop living your life because you're stuck wondering how things could have been different if only things have changed. The problem with if only is we stop living. Our lives stop. We're full of shame. We're full of regret. We're full of disappointment. And we're overcome with fear, if only. What's your if only here? If you can go back and change something, what would it be? Jesus specializes in the if onlys. And it's not just here, as we'll see as this text unfolds in front of us. As you turn through the pages of your scriptures, you find God moving especially in the if-onlys. It starts with Abraham and Sarah. If only Sarah could conceive a child. If only Abraham and Sarah could conceive a child together, even though they're 90-something years old. If only. And what happens? They have Isaac. If only meets God and they have Isaac. If only, Isaiah or Elijah says, if only there was more prophets than me and I was taken on the prophets of Baal. If only there was more. It's one against 500. If only there was like at least 10 more. That'd be great, God. What happens? God meets him there and he takes on all the prophets of Baal and he wins. God specializes if, in the if only. David takes five rocks 
He's the short guy here. He's saying, if only I was a little bit taller. If only I was a baller. (laughs) Yes. He's saying, if only. And God meets him there in the middle of the if only statement. And he swings the rock and he takes out Goliath. If only is almost as if that's God's cue. He hears the words, if only. He goes, now it's my turn. We get to come to this. Jesus, in this passage, meets Mary and Martha right in the center of their if-only statements. Their brothers have died. They're disappointed. They're hurting. They're full of tears. They have a little bit of anger with them. And he meets them right in the middle of it. And look what he says in verse 23. If you have your Bibles, if not, I'll read it to you. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, yeah, I know. He'll rise at the resurrection of the last day. They're trapped in the center of regret. Mary and Martha realize and they know and they believe that that at the end of days, when God makes everything whole again, when God comes back, the dead will rise. It's an old Jewish belief. They get it. They're onto it. They understand it. Mary and Martha believe in that. But that belief doesn't really help them right now. And very seldom do those answers even help at all in those moments. They're stuck by grief. They're full of regret. But Jesus isn't talking about a resurrection that's going to happen in the future. Jesus is talking about a resurrection that is actually standing right in front of them. The future that they're thinking about is actually right in the now. And he's, Jesus is trying to get Mary and Martha to realize that it's in front of them in the form of a person. It's more than just a future fact. It's a person standing in front of them trying to get them to believe. He continues, I am the resurrection, Jesus says, and the life. He's not, I will be the resurrection. It's I am in the present tense. God in the midst of them saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus meets them in their if onlys and he's trying to get them to move forward out of it. The story begins with Martha And Mary, running to meet Jesus, Martha comes to him first, and she's got some things to talk to Jesus about. You can almost sense the anger in her voice, the angst that she has. She can't wait to tell Jesus what she thinks of him being late to the party. And if that's something that you and I can identify with, I think think we can be there, right? There's some things that we would like to say to God. There's some things that we're rushing towards to him because we wish things would have worked differently, right? We wish that thing didn't happen to us. We wish this person didn't do what they did. And our inclination is to run to God and give him the list of rights of things he should have done differently. And if that's you, let me encourage you to do that. And I'm not being sarcastic here. Jesus welcomes it. 
He doesn't scold Martha for telling him, if you had been here. He doesn't say, Mary, you're wrong for telling me, if only. He welcomes it. They take their if onlys right to the source. And if you're hesitant about taking those things to Jesus tonight, let me encourage you to go there and tell him exactly what's on your mind. Don't censor yourself. He can handle it. He's a big boy. But you need to be prepared for his answer. You need to be ready for what he's going to tell you because you are trapped in your if-only statements. And Jesus is more than happy to meet you in those if-only statements and in those if-only moments, but he refuses to let you get stuck there. He refuses to let you live there. He wants you to take that next step out of if only and meet the when Jesus. From, with, from if only to when Jesus. And look how Jesus does this to Mary and Martha. He challenges them. First, he asks them, do you actually believe in this resurrection? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? The resurrection, yes, that's something we've believed since we were kids. We get it, we're on it, but Jesus is saying, is it just lip service or is it something that you actually believe? He's challenging them. Jesus will challenge you in your if-onlys and it's good because it's moving you forward. And then Jesus asks them one more question. Where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? Jesus says, he wants to see the if-onlys. He wants to see the situation. He wants to be next to it. He wants to meet you in the ugliness of the if-onlys, in the ugliness of the regret. And Mary and Martha, go for it. They say, come and see, Lord, they replied. Mary and Martha weren't ready for his response. I, I bet they weren't ready to go to the tomb again. He'd been in there for four days. It's not something you want to go see again because you're reminded by it. But in the middle of their grief, in the middle of their sorrow, in the middle of their tears, Jesus meets them right in the center of it, right in the mess of it all. And he says, I want to see it. And come and see, they say. Come and see where we laid our if only. And they lead him there full of the tears in their eyes. And it's here where Mary and Martha begin to see through Jesus that a new day is dawning. Even though they're right in the middle of the darkest night. Even though their tears are still bitter. There's a light of joy that is closer than they can possibly ever think. And Jesus asks them one more thing. He asks them if they believe. He takes them straight to the, to the hurt. And then he says, open the tomb. In verse 38, Jesus, once again deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone rolled in front of it. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, it's a bad odor in there. For he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? You and I have if-onlys. And our temptation is this. We take them, 
We live in them. They direct and they dictate our lives. And then we stuff them away somewhere in our psyche, in our hearts, and we put something over top and we never want to talk to them again. We never want to talk about it again. We are good at hiding if onlys and what we end up doing is pretending And our lives go on and we think we're fine, but we're full of so much hurt. We're full of so much pain. We're full of the idea of what could have been instead of what the reality actually is. And we're afraid to open up those tombs. Why? Because it's messy. It's gross. It means that I'll start weeping again. It means that I'm going to have to talk about painful things. I'm going to start talking about what happened to me, and I'd rather not do that. And Jesus comes, and he wants to heal that spot But in order for that spot to be healed, you have to roll away that stone in your heart. And you have to let him see it. They rolled away the stone. Jesus stands outside there, and it's one of the most trippiest passages in in the Bible. And he's standing outside, and I imagine everybody's kind of recovered from the smell that's come out. And Jesus standing there in the audience, everyone's quiet there, wondering, what's he going to do now? This is really weird. And he yells inside the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And there's that awkward silence. Like, is it going to work? And then something starts stirring in the middle of the tomb. They hear footsteps. And the dead man came out. That's what the scripture says. The dead man comes out. It's weird. Dead things don't rise in our society. Dead things very rarely rise in their society. It doesn't happen unless you're on a Hollywood TV set. Dead things don't come. But here, the scriptures say, the dead man came out of the tomb with the burial cloths on him still. And Jesus says, take those clothes away from him. Clean them up. Jesus speaks life into those places of regret. Mary and Martha take Jesus to that one place where God doesn't exist, to that one place where hope doesn't exist, to that one place where their whole lives are being pulled down, where they're full of fear. And he says, that place that we're all hiding, I want to bring life to that place. And the question to us is, do we believe it? Because he's asking you the same thing. For every fear you have, for every shame you have, for every disappointment you have, Jesus makes an empty grave of it and says you don't have to live in that place anymore. And we're challenged with that. Can Jesus take the dead spots in your life And bring them to life again. Do you believe he can do something like that tonight? I do. I've seen it happen. He can bring hope and healing. And every Easter we talk about it. And every Easter I walk out and say I believe it. And then Monday happens and I don't believe it anymore. But this year is going to be different, right? This year we're going to believe it. And I hope so. I hope we can believe this because your life will be forever changed. My life will be forever changed if I can give him that if only. 
because he shows us something there. He shows us in Jesus, we see this, that he can take all of our fears, all of our regrets, all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our if onlys, and he takes them to the cross on that Friday and they're nailed to the cross with him and he takes them to the grave with him and he died with them so we don't have to be ruled by them any longer. And then on Sunday, Mary, a different Mary, is walking to the tomb again. There's another Mary, there's a tomb and she's full of that same regret. She had hoped Jesus was the Messiah. And she stands in front of this tomb. She's weeping. She's come to prepare the body, to put spices on the body. And as she comes around the corner of the garden tomb, she sees that stone has been whirled away. And that's weird because that shouldn't have been that way. Stones don't move. Graves don't open. This is strange. And she gets closer. And then she runs back to the upper room. She goes and tells the disciples, something's happened. And the disciples in John chapter 20, John tells a pretty cool story about this. He says there was a foot race between he and Peter and they go off to the tomb to see who, who, what exactly was happening. And they get there and John's very clear to point out he was the faster one and he gets to the tomb first. But Peter goes in the tomb first. John stands outside. Peter goes in. So John's faster. Peter's the brave one. And Peter goes right into the tomb. John follows, and they find that there's no body in there. The, the linens are laid out where the body should have been, and the cloth that went over the face was laid right where it should have been, but there was no Jesus. And they bolt out of the tomb, and it says they go home, and Mary is left standing there in the garden weeping, just like the other Mary in the Lazarus story. And she muscles the courage to bend down to look into the tomb. And as she bends down, her eyes are still weeping, the text points out. And she sees two angels sitting at the head and foot of the bed. And they ask her, why are you crying? What are you looking for? She doesn't answer. She backs out. And as she's backing out, she bumps in to what she thought was a gardener. And the gardener says the same thing. Why are you crying? And she looks at the gardener and says, look, you took him. Where did you take him? This isn't a funny joke. And the gardener doesn't answer. Instead, he says, Mary. And then Mary recognizes this voice. It's Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Our shame, our regret, our if-onlys, our sins, our disappointments, couldn't keep him in that grave. He rose from the dead, and Mary, when she heard her name called by Jesus, instantly recognizes it. Here's the voice, and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's a term of endearment. And then Jesus says, basically, ta-da, I'm here. I've risen from the dead, but don't hold on to me because I still have to go back to my father and your father. The story's not over yet. But he rises from that grave, and the question that comes to here for us 
As Jesus is standing, we're looking at our if-onlys, and it's empty, and he's calling your name. And he's saying, are you ready to stop living by the if-onlys tonight? Are you ready to believe again? Do you believe it? Are you ready to believe it? Is it going to be more than just another lip service? Are you going to live not hindered by the if-onlys, but enabled and empowered by the when Jesuses? Because when we do that, we will truly live. Your if-onlys become when Jesus, and then you are made alive again. Tonight, will you believe? Do you believe? And for many of us, we've believed for a long time. We've known about this. But there might be some in here that have never believed this for the first time. Maybe you've come here for a while. You're you're familiar with Bethany. But you've never really said, I believe in this Jesus. I believe he could take my if-onlys and redeem them. I believe he can heal my wounds. Tonight, if that's you, would you believe tonight? Would you make that declaration? Tell somebody about it? Will you say, I believe this? If you've believed for a while, will you start believing again? What's the next if only that you need to give to Jesus? As you walked in, You were given a packet of seeds, and you might have thought, oh, this is weird. But these seeds show us something. These seeds are actually full of hope. When you put a seed into the ground, you're hoping that it's going to what? Stay in the ground? No, you're hoping it's going to spring up and and make a wildflower mixture. You're hoping for that. And tonight we give you these seeds as a reminder to hope again. To plant the seeds somewhere, maybe in your garden, maybe in a a potted something in your house. Plant the seeds and hope again. And as you see this seed sprout, may it remind you that Jesus is calling you away from your if-onlys into what could be when Jesus comes, when Jesus rises from the dead. And so tonight, the first step is to say, I believe this. And if you, tonight, need to do some business with God and run to him, come on in. He's ready to take on your questions and he's ready to meet you in those places. Don't hide any longer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can come to you with our pain, with our regret, with our shame, with our disappointments, with all the places where we wish something would have been different. And we can come to you and say, Jesus, if only you would have done this differently, And you say, watch me work through it. And you ask us the same question you asked Mary and Martha that day. Do you believe I can work through even this? 
And Lord, may you help us believe that you can. And for those who have never believed in this room tonight, I I want you to pray a prayer. If you're ready to believe tonight, it's simple. It's not magic. It's just simple. Would you pray with me this? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you can make my life new. I believe you can bring hope and healing to this heart in this place tonight. If you've prayed that, I believe Jesus is beginning to do a work in your life. If you let him, he'll continue to do so. If you've believed for a long time, maybe your prayer is something like this. Jesus, will you help me to believe again? Even in the middle of my doubts, will you meet me in that mess? And may I believe, and I believe in you even though I doubt. Will you meet me there? And Jesus, may you meet all of us tonight in our hurts, in our wounds. Will you heal us? Will you begin to stitch us back together again like you promised? and make us whole. Will you breathe on us fresh life with your spirit? And may we be new again. In your name, amen.